morning. I don't know about you, but I think prayer often feels like a very sensible thing to do in the face of tragedy. Whether it's a natural disaster, a terrorist attack, um, or a global pandemic, all of a sudden, like a knee-jerk reaction almost, the world decides that it needs to pray for a nation, for a city, for an individual or a situation. You may yourself have, and I hope that as a church we definitely have, been responding to what's going on at the moment in prayer. But here's the thing, as often as we feel that impulse to pray about something, we often feel a frustration, I think, don't we? We feel a frustration with not understanding fully who it is we're praying to or what it is we're praying about or the words that we should use. There's like a disconnect between the desire and our ability to pray clearly. Luckily, Jesus taught on prayer. As he made his way through the dusty terrain of first century Palestine, he taught by example and he taught by answering his disciples' questions when they asked, how is it, Lord, that we're supposed to pray? He started off by telling them something that prayer isn't. Prayer isn't, he said, an opportunity to virtue signal. I don't know about you, but I felt that in the past when natural disasters and terrorist attacks have been in the news. Leading celebrities and politicians have, have said that they're praying for situations and it's felt more like virtue signalling than actually praying about the situation. Jesus says when we pray, it shouldn't be so that other people know. Prayer is a private thing between ourselves and God. He also said prayer isn't a magic formula for bringing about some mystical power to change things. Jesus said there is no special way of speaking and praying so that you can guarantee results. That's just not how it works. So what is prayer then? What is prayer in the Lord's Prayer that he teaches? Now this is going to be bonkers and sound bonkers to some of you. It's going to be brand new and uncomfortable but bear with me. And bear with me, not just this morning, but over the next couple of weeks as we unpack the Lord's Prayer. I think prayer is an opportunity to live in the world as it truly is. Jesus, through his prayer, invites us to reorientate our hearts and our minds and our souls to come to believe the truth rather than the lies that we normally live in. Let me explain that a little bit more. Very often, most often, we live in a world of lies. We live as if things like the following are true. God doesn't care. He's not interested. That's a lie, whether we say it out loud, day by day, generally speaking, we think is true. Lies like God is powerless that whether he cares or not, he's not able to make a difference in our lives or in the lives of people around us. For lots of people, they believe the lie that life is meaningless, that it's pointless, that it's hopeless. How about this last one? Probably 
I think, the most damaging lie of all that we tell each other. The lie that if we all get together, if we all pull in the same direction, then we, between us, can sort everything out. Those sorts of thoughts and ideas, they saturate us, they wash over us day by day and they affect how we see and how we live in the world. Jesus says into that scenario, that is when you should pray. And your prayers are a chance to remind yourself of what's really true in him. Prayer, and I think particularly the Lord's Prayer, is an invitation for us to turn off the fake news and to come and to live in the world as it truly is. So we're going to start our journey through the Lord's Prayer this morning and we're going to do it just by looking at the first two words because there's enough in there to totally and utterly change how we see the world in which we live. We all know how it starts. Our Father. Now what happens when you hear that expression when you hear that phrase what pictures and images are brought to mind perhaps for some it will be positive pictures good examples of fatherhood from your lives heartwarming examples of what it is for someone to be a father i'm certain for many out there it's going to be bad examples it's going to be heartbreaking ideas and pictures of what it means to be a father And what we tend to do is take our experiences, and if not our experiences, ideas that we've got from books and films and TV shows and songs about fatherhood, and we load that into the start of Jesus's prayer, our Father. One author I read this week put it a little bit like this, if that's what we do. If your father was demanding and lacked grace, then that's how you're going to see God. If your father was cold and distant and uninvolved, then that's how you're going to see God. If your father was unable to deliver on his grand promises, then that's how you're going to see God. And here's the problem. That's the spiritual equivalent of having your shoes tied together at the start of a race. Before you've even started, before you're out of the blocks, you're not going to get very far. Our problem is when we hear that phrase or when we pray that phrase, our father, we fill it in with a lot of the wrong information. So what is the right information? What is the right idea that Jesus wants us to have when he teaches us to pray our father? Well, in the Bible, the idea of God as a father comes about in some very specific circumstances. It comes about not just in relation to God being the one who makes us and cares for us, but it comes about in relation to God being the one who rescues his children. God the Father is, in the Bible, first and foremost, a rescuer. It's seen really clearly in two places. The first is the great story of the Exodus, when God takes the people of Israel, saves the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt and delivers them to the promised land. That's really the first place, the first time that the idea of God as a father comes about. Then Isaiah, the prophet later on, he picks it up as well. He uses it a a number of times and it's in relation to a future rescue that God has got planned. Biblically speaking, 
when we think, when we pray about God as our Father, we're supposed to be thinking about someone who loves enough to get involved, someone who is powerful enough to do something to affect a change for our good and for our benefit. Our Father is almost the same as us praying our great rescuer. But here's the question for you and for me. What is the rescue that we're speaking about? What has God done on our behalf to change things for our good? Well, God the Father has sent God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit to perform the most wonderful rescue mission, hasn't he? Let me jump somewhere else for a second. Let me jump to the Apostle Paul and a letter that he wrote to a new church in Colossae. And as he's writing to this church in Colossae, he reminds them of what life was like for them truly before Jesus. This is what he writes, and it's not exactly polite. You, he writes, you were once strangers to God, enemies of God in your minds. And that was made evident by your evil actions. It's not exactly warm. It's not exactly winsome. It's Paul being honest that this is there and this is our natural state before Jesus has intervened, before God has rescued us through his son. We're strangers. We're far off. We're lost. We're separated. We are enemies of God. But... And now he changes to the situation in Jesus. But now you have been reconciled. Now you've been rescued from that far off place, that lost, that lonely, that isolated existence. You have been brought near to God by Jesus through his body in his death. Something has happened something has changed. Because Jesus has lived, because Jesus has died, because Jesus has risen to life again, no longer do we have to be strangers and enemies, but we can become children of God. We can call God our Father. As I was doing a little bit of research for this morning during the week, one preacher drew my attention to a verse in John chapter 20, John 20 verse 17. And it's in the context of Jesus having lived with his disciples for three years, having died in their place and now having risen to life again. And he's chatting to Mary Magdalene and he's, he's telling her about what has to happen next. This is what we read. Do not hold on to me, Mary, Jesus says. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Tell them I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. It's an amazing verse because it's the first time that Jesus is now, post death and resurrection, able to identify with his followers as closely as brothers. He's able to say to them that my father is truly your father, that my God is truly your God. Jesus has lived, he has died, he has risen again, and therefore there is access, access to a special relationship for anyone who believes with God as Father, with God as Rescuer. 
Now, there is a fancy theological word that goes along with this, and I'm usually reticent to use fancy theological words, but I think it's one that we'll get pretty easily. This is the idea of us being adopted by God in Jesus. That what Jesus has achieved through his life, his death, his resurrection, the great rescue mission means that we are part of God's family. We're adopted, sons and daughters. Now think about how that changes the world in which we live in. Think about how that challenges the lies that we tend to believe. Some might say God doesn't care. But when Jesus invites us to reorientate, when he invites us to live in the truth, we have to say, don't we, pull the other one. God doesn't care. He cares enough to do something about our sorry, helpless states. Some people believe that God is powerless. But this prayer is an invitation to say, don't talk nonsense. God is powerless. He's able to rescue us from the furthest of places. He's even able to defeat death on our behalf. That's the power that he has. The lie that life is meaningless. The lie that life is hopeless. Surely when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we start off by saying, Our Father, we have to say now we see that life is part of something far more beautiful, far more important, far more wonderful than we will ever, ever have imagined before. By beginning our prayers, by saying, along with Jesus, our Father, at last, we're forcing ourselves to see the world as it truly is. A world that is ruled, a world that is reigned by a loving, knowing and acting God, who is your father. We need to see in our prayers that we are God's children in the risen power of Jesus. Now there is just one small other detail that I want to pick up on quickly before we close. Something that I think is really important in this time of self-isolation. Let me read to you again the Lord's Prayer, but I fiddled with it. And I think you'll see how I fiddled with it because it'll jar the ears a little bit. See what you make of this. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my debts as I also forgive my debtors. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Did you see what I did? Yeah, it, it was obvious. I took the plural that the Lord's Prayer is actually spoken in and I made it singular. Because I think that's normally what we do. We make prayer just about us and ourselves. We make even the Lord's Prayer just about us and ourselves. But Jesus didn't teach us to pray, my Father. He taught us to pray, our Father. The Lord's Prayer begins and it continues, not in the singular, but in the plural. It's a prayer for us to pray together, even when we're praying it all alone. Here's the true world that we're invited to see and to enjoy. 
true world is that when we are part of God's family, we have not just a special relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but we have a special relationship with one another. Sometimes the lie that we believe when we listen to people other than Jesus is that life is only about me and myself. That I am alone in this world and that's what mo- that which is most important is what I can get out of it for myself or a small closed group of people that I have chosen. But the Lord's Prayer, when it is prayed and it is considered and it is understood, has to teach us this, doesn't it? It has to teach us and invite us to live in a world where we're concerned not just about ourselves, but we're concerned about all of God's children, that we care, that it matters who else is out there, that it matters what else is happening to those around us, that in God's kingdom, in the real world that Jesus has brought by his life and his death and his resurrection, that your life is about more than just you. And now that's something we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, isn't it? how we make decisions, how we view our actions and our lives and our freedoms, that those things are all influenced by God and by one another. Jesus says, as he introduces us to the idea of prayer, he says, begin by praying our Father and recognise that you are not in this on your own. So here's my encouragement then, or my challenge then, to finish off. What can you be doing this week? Well, I'm going to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer regularly, to pray it often, whether you understand it 100% or not, and to do it asking two questions. Pray the prayer asking two questions. The first question is this, what truth do I need to learn? What true world is Jesus inviting me into through this prayer? We've already considered two truths so far this morning. But as well ask the question, what lies do I need to kick to touch? What things have I been living and believing about myself and about God and the world, which is just utter nonsense? Do I need to get rid of? I don't expect you to be able to answer those questions this week. I don't expect us to answer those questions quickly even. We're going to take our time as we make our way through the Lord's Prayer. But I do expect that as we spend time, as we listen and respond to Jesus's invitation to live in the world as it truly is through his prayer, I'm confident that we'll find the answers that we're asking, uh, find the answers to the questions that we're asking, that we'll begin more and more to see the world as it truly is, and we'll be able to live in the world as it truly is. A world in which we're not on our own. We are part of a wonderful family that spans history, that spans geography, and that has as its head a loving, knowing, caring, acting, powerful God, our Father. We're going to finish off with one last song. We'll hand over to Rodri and Kerry in a second. Then John is going to come back. And he's going to direct us as we close. But thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Thank you so much for listening. 
And please, please, please do pray the Lord's Prayer and ask those questions. Amen.